On today's episode of Background Check, we have Cardell Sims. He went to prison five times, but it was in that fifth time where he looked at the top of the court papers that said United States of America versus Cardell Sims. And that made him want to change on the inside, not only on the inside of prison that last time, but on the inside of himself. And now he goes back into prisons, teaches a reentry course, and he goes back into his old neighborhoods to help rebuild what he helped destroy. Come on, let's do a background check on Cardell Sims. Let's go! Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of course I have. Everyone does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back. It, sh- it should pay you back. This podcast will inspire you, motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and, and not be afraid to say, go, go ahead, check my background. My name is J. Dan Gum. And this is Background Check. You already know. Let's go. You can check my background. I'm a forgiving felon, so tell them that I won't back down now. You can bet I won't live in regret. It's time to earn some respect. You are tuning in to Background Check. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Background Check Podcast, where we believe your background shouldn't hold you back. It should pay you back. How does your background pay you back? If you're not making it pay you back, you're, you're missing out on life. Your background stole so much from you, you should make it pay you back. Uh, Thanks for tuning in, everyone, for another week. We are back on track with the Friday episodes. We took a little holiday break uh, during the middle of season three, but we are back on track right in the middle of Love Month, Black History Month. Uh, We got some great um, episodes coming up. The next three, today's, next week, and the week after are ones you don't want to miss. You're going to want to share these uh, incredible, incredible stories uh thanks for tuning in we do uh have a show sponsor um clarity roofing and solar my good buddy joe over at clarity clarity roofing and solar they've put on a roof uh, for us they've put on solar panels for us if you want to come get an estimate for a roof replacement or you're thinking about solar panels we we produce our own energy now yeah that's right and if we produce more than we consume the company buys it back from us so uh, anyway, if you're interested, check out the show notes, uh, Clarity Roofing and Solar, and uh, contact my buddy Joe over there, all right? So we're, we are back on track, and uh, man, we got some, I got some shout-outs that I've missed, and so I, you know, not missed, but we took a break from all the shout-outs because we weren't doing uh, regular episodes, but I do have some, uh, I think I missed some, and, and, and if, you know, listen guys, I do all this by myself right now. When we get the resource center and we have a staff, a volunteer staff and some people that will professionally correspond to you, uh, keep track of all, all of my mail. Uh, and listen, I have to filter through all the, you know, requests to, to go do this and call this and send this to a news station and, and look up the, you know, this for that and them and all this. And listen, we, we don't, we don't do all of that. You know, one, one day we might, uh, when we get the resource center going, but you know, we're, um, we have some episodes that provide information for reentry, uh, in the Dallas area. There's some, uh, Montgomery, Texas. Um, there's a parole lawyer. He works kind of Houston and Dallas, but, um, you know, go look up the way back. If you're coming to the Dallas area, cornbread hustle episode, way back episode, uh, miles of freedom, Richard miles episode, those are really good. We're going to try to, to fulfill some of your requests about getting some guests on here from Houston and Austin and maybe other areas 
where you're going to be getting out and uh, and maybe getting some some guests on here that have resources in those areas. We're, we've got y'all's letters, the ones that are asking for it, and uh, we're going to try. You know, Arizona, uh, Connecticut, uh, Arkansas, New York. I mean, everywhere. And so remember, I'm just one person, and uh, but I'm going to do my best. But for all you people out here as well, if you're ever listening and uh, you want to, you want to. You know, say, hey, I want to help Jadeann answer some letters from people from prison. Just let me know. We, we, we could use the help, all right? And once we get the resource center, everyone out here, we need your help uh, volunteering, teaching classes, everything. So um, we're, we're still looking for the space. We're going to go look at a couple more spaces here in the next week or two. Very exciting, but we just believe God's going to give us that resource center this year. But, hey, real quick, I want to give some shout-outs. Let's see here. Katie. Katie, uh, I do have a message into David O'Neill, the Texas parole lawyer episode. Uh, thank you for your question. And uh, I've got a question into him and I'll let you know. Okay. Uh, thank you for listening still. Thelma from the Marlin unit. Thank you so much. Uh, we're not going to be able to do everything you want us to do, but uh, thank you for your story and stay strong. Hang in there. Uh, Amber Miller. I don't know if you're still in the Lexington County Detention Center, uh, South Carolina, but if you are, thank you for uh, your letters and, uh, and you got this, you got this, you're, you're going to make it. You're going to be all right. Okay. Uh, I believe in you. I believe in you. Who else we got? Let me see here. Dennis Lund Huntsville unit. Uh, thank you for, um, listening and, uh, sharing the word. I think there was something you, you did mention a couple episodes, uh, hurt people, hurt people and let them go. David, uh, David, David gets two shout outs. Um, O'Neill, uh, so, so yeah, you know, I do, I do want to, uh, stop in at Huntsville. If y'all want to, uh, invite me, talk to your chaplain, talk to, uh, yeah, maybe your chaplain, get your chaplain to contact me and, um, and I'll come share. Okay. All right, man. Thank you for writing in, man. Uh, let's see who else we got here. We got Brian from, uh, Arizona. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as just putting information out here, we can't be an information only podcast, you guys. Um, so just, you know, just know that when we bring a guest on with a story, they may have information that you can use. And when you hear an episode that has information that somebody, you know, somebody wants to listen to, uh, make sure you share that. But, um, uh, but, but Brian, you could do this. I know you can, uh, because we have guests that prove it and, um, and I know you could be one of those. Okay. Uh, but guys, if you're in prison and you want me to you know, mentor you and, and encourage you on, on an in-person level or at least on phone or whatever, contact us when you get out. I'm not going to be able to do it right now but through letters and, and messages. I'm not going to be able to do it, but contact me when you get out, man. I don't mind doing it at all. Okay. Uh, Kevin Hartsfield, Gib, Gib Lewis unit. Um, looks like you're maybe, maybe, I mean, we're in February. You said you're going to be a grandpa in February. So um, let's see. Diana Joe. You're having a baby girl, Lilith Ivory. All right, so he's going to be a grandpa. And uh, let's see, he said there's three. I guess all three of y'all, yeah. Uh, Diana Joe and son, oh, Kevin Jr. Okay, Kevin. All right, well, congratulate to all of y'all. Congratulations to all of y'all. And I uh, don't know if the baby little Lilith is there yet. So, uh, Lilith, if you are, welcome to the world. Welcome to Background Check Podcast. All right, who we got next? We got Miss Louise, Louise Anderson from the Hobby Unit. Thank you for writing. Uh, thank you for writing in and sharing everything that you shared. Um, uh, bless you. 
Bless you, bless you, bless you. You're you're a sweetheart, and uh, I appreciate you. And uh, uh, I'm trying to get to the hobby unit. So if you have the chaplain there at the hobby unit, contact me at jdangum, J-A-Y-D-A-N-G-U-M-M at forgivenfelons.org and, uh, and ask me to, to come share. Tell me there's an opening. I'll come share. 2009, the very first time I ever went to prison to speak was at the hobby unit. So uh, I love the hobby. I love the hobby. And, uh, uh, and I just got through listening to an uh, interview in uh, Tina Washington. So you guys get ready. You guys at the hobby unit, get ready. Tina Washington's um, interview is coming next week. All right, you're not going to want to miss that. Uh, let's see who else we got. Matthew Esri, uh, you let me know that this is the second letter you sent, but I didn't shout you out last time, so I'm sorry, Matthew. Forgive me. Uh, I'm doing my best I can, man, but I love your plan. Um, whatever we need to do to get connected to Pathway to Freedom, you let me know, okay? Uh, Latrice, Latrice. Let's see, is this your letter here? Latrice. Uh, yes. Thank you so much. And I uh, can't remember what. I know you asked me something, but but thank you for listening to um, to us. All right. Uh, the, your, Latrice is at Lockhart. Oh, oh, Latrice. Okay, so you're at the prison I was at, and you also had the same charge and got the same five, uh, five-year sentence that I did. So that was pretty cool. Thank you for listening. Spread the word. Uh, let me see here. Murphy Campbell in Arizona advice request. Listen, I'm not going to, I can't just, uh, I don't have time to answer all the letters. Uh, Murphy, I'm so sorry. And, um, and I'm not going to, I can't just do it on air either. So, but thank you for writing in again, once you get out and once we get the resource center and can correspond a little better, we'll be able to help you guys more with uh, corresponding. Okay. All right, listen, we got to get to uh, man, the interview today. This guy is, his name's Cardell Sims. He did time in state prison and federal prison uh, in Missouri and just an incredible guy. It took him five times to get it right, but when he got it right, he got it right. And, uh, he's going to, um, he's going to talk about everything he did growing up, how he got involved in gangs and drugs and everything. And then he's going to talk about how he's, he was even selling drugs on campus at college while playing basketball. He was selling drugs to people. Then say, then say, Hey, come watch me play basketball tonight. (laughs) They didn't believe him. So, He's an entrepreneur. He's been out for, I think, since 2017. Incredible man. Uh, we just, we've been following each other on social media, and um, he asked me if I, we could finally do an interview swap, and I said, absolutely. So I went on his podcast last week, and he's on mine this week. So you're going to love his story, and here we go. Here's my interview with Cardell. All right, today's guest is Cardell Sims. He is a author. He is a reentry specialist, and he is... Uh, becoming a social media friend of mine, and I can't wait till I get to uh, hang out with him in person on his hundred prison tour. Uh, welcome to Background Check Podcast, Cardell. Uh, thanks for having me. How you doing? Good, man. Good. I think it was you that sent me a message on Instagram one time. And said, "Man, it's about time we both get on each other's podcast." And and uh, and I think you're right, man. I think you're right. Oh yeah, most definitely. I've been following your work um, and. I've seen your podcast. I've been listening to a few episodes and I'm, you know, I'm in the process of building my podcast. And I was like, okay, I'm a few episodes. I felt like I was a few episodes in to be able to reach out to you and say, Hey, I think it's time for us. Um, It was just perfect timing the way I see it. Um, it I had wanted to approach earlier, but I was like, let me, let me continue to build. And then um, I reach out because there's certain people that I looked up to. 
Um, I mean, we had a conversation. I was talking to you about the mentors. So I didn't really come out of prison with no physical mentors. So with certain people that I would watch YouTube videos and things like that, that would be my mentor without them even knowing. And you was one of them. You was one of them oh, people. So man, I it was kind of like it was kind of like building up before I asked you. Like, let me build hey, something first. And then, I know, and then I know ask. what you're talking about. <laughs> I know what you're talking about because. Um, you know, now I was just the opposite when I first started, I just asked everybody and I, and I just mm -hmm. said, the worst they could tell me is no. And so, um, I went straight to, I don't know if you know who Brian Stevenson is. He's the, yes. uh, he's the head of equal justice initiative in Alabama. They made the movie about him called just mercy. Movie, yeah. Yeah. Just mercy, yeah. And so, um, I, out the gate, man, before I even launched any episodes, I told him I wanted him to be one of my launch episodes and, uh, and his publicist emailed me back and, uh, said, said, you know, we appreciate the, uh, the ask, but we're just super busy. Now, what I heard, what I heard was, eh, I don't want, I don't want you trying to build your, build your podcast brand on, on an interview with us. Um, so I, they didn't say no, they just said, we're super busy. So I said, well, how about I check, check back with you in about a year. And, uh, and right. they said that, and they said, that'd be great. I haven't checked back with him yet. Um, because now I got two more, almost season three is about to end. And, and I got two more full seasons and we've just got some amazing people on. And, uh, and now I could go back to them, you know, and say, Hey, we got judges, lawyers, represent state representatives, um, you know, people with such great stories. We've got exonerated people on wrongfully convicted people on, you know, and that's who they fight for. And, uh, but we were, we were blessed, man. Um, you know, I, I, I watched a podcast course from a, from a guy named Zach Babcock underdog empowerment. And I took that course and, and he, he did time in prison himself. And, and, uh, and, and he just said, man, don't be afraid to ask the big, the big wigs, but also do it in a professional way. And, uh, and I, I, by no means am a big wig, but I appreciate you, you know, uh, treating me like, you know, you needed to have some episodes under your belt, but, uh, but, but you do, you're doing, you're doing so good, man. And, um, uh, you, you know, there's a lot of people get out and just put stuff off and put stuff off and put stuff off and, uh, talk about it, think about it, pray about it, you know, but sometimes you got to quit praying about it, talking about it, thinking about it, just do it. And, uh, oh, yeah, and most you, definitely. you've done that. And so, um, just before we get into your background check, uh, which you pass, I promise we, they all pass. Um, <laughs> but you know, the premise of our show is, is, um, your background shouldn't hold you back. It should pay you back. And so let's talk about real quick who you are right now, what you're doing in the reentry field, what you're doing inside federal prisons. Um, and, and we're going to kind of start with, with the present of how your background is already paying you back. So talk about things you've done and who you are and what you do since you've been out of prison, then we'll, then we'll backtrack and, and, and hit the, hit it from there. Okay. So yeah, I'm Cardell Sims. Um, I'm a reentry coach. I, I really don't like to say reentry coach or reentry specialist or reentry experts, but you know, um, in today's society, you have to put these titles on there. I just feel like I'm just doing my purpose. I'm serving my purpose um, to give those the game uh, that they don't have to go through what I went through. So I, you know, so I'm a, I guess a reentry consultant. Let's just put it like that. There you go. I'll be a reentry consultant, an author, um, national speaker, um, an owner and founder of um, a nonprofit organization called North. So I'm a, I have a, a LLC and I have a nonprofit organization. Um, the North organization is an organization that's geared back to rebuilding the neighborhood that I destroyed when I was out there in the streets. Um, 
what comes with the streets, as we all know, well, not my everyone knows, but in the life that I once lived, um, we devalued the property of the neighborhood. Um, and people will move out because of gang activities and stuff like that. And then we'll take over them places. And so them liners, a lot of them spots are empty. And so now what my nonprofit does is we we get together with those in the community. Uh, we help build on these empty lots. We bring resources, programs for the youth. Um, and we bring value. Our whole thing is bringing value, bringing honor back to that neighborhood. That's why it's called North. It's on the North side, but North stands for North Organization Reinventing the Honor. So that's what we do with that particular organization. Um, with Cardell Sims, I just, I like, I, I love going inside the institutions and working on personal development with those incarcerated. Um, my story lines up. I know what it means to not come out prepared. And then I know the effects of actually coming out prepared. And where I'm at today is me coming out being really prepared. Gotcha. So now you go back in and yes. uh, tell, tell us exactly what you do when you go back in. Yeah. And so, yeah, um, I have a, a my, my reentry program is called On the Inside Reentry Academy. I designed this, I, I watched a lot of people such as yourself, um, Andre Norman. I watched guys formerly incarcerated go back, get the opportunity to go back in. When I when I got out of prison, I've seen that. And I wanted to build a program. So I built this program uh, just for that because I know, just like you know, that reentry starts on the inside of prison and a cell. And so I built on the Inside Reentry Academy to go in and work on personal development, help change and reprogram your reticular activating system help create a vision, help you create a vision of what you want your life to be like after incarceration. And then we focus on that. We focus on needs, wants, goals, your personality type, your learning traits, you know, to understand how you learn. Uh, attitude, we do attitude assessments. We do a, a reentry and recovery plan to where we focus on everything. Like you need to know what, uh, the, uh, the specific person that, that might be a trigger for you all the way down to this, how are you going to counteract that when you run into this person? Uh, if you're going out for a job, how are you going to counteract when you keep hearing no and no and you start to get frustrated and these things that can lead you back to uh, going back to the life that you once lived. So that's what I go in and do. I go on the inside and we work on personal development. We work on you on the inside. That's so good. That's so good and so needed. Uh, and, and the guys that are in there on those classes that take those classes, they, they want to be there, right? They're not forced to be there. They sign up for those classes and they want to know and they want to learn. Yeah. Yeah. When I go into prison, like I just went in and we started a new class um, this month and I went in last month, went in there and spoke to a whole new section of people. And yeah, when you sign up, they want to be in there. Um, that's the great thing because those that's in the class, I know the fact that they even showed up to the first speaking engagement to even hear my spiel, hear what the class is about, that they had some interest in changing deep inside. And yeah. so just to be there, because we, you know, in prison, we know the people that ain't trying to program, ain't, ain't trying to do nothing. They ain't nothing wrong with them. It's, they just, they just yeah. planning on how to not to get caught next time. That's all they're doing. That's it. <laughs> right. And so, and so I know that if you showed up there, that there's something inside of you to saying, you know, I need to change. I want to do something different. And so, yeah. That's so good because, you know, we, 
we take guys into our transitional houses and we don't really uh, meet them in person before we take them in, but we, we do make them oh, fill really? out a real, we make them fill out a long application process where we ask a lot of questions and then we make them write their story out so we can kind of vet them and see where they're at. You know, and I can, I can tell straight up by some people writing their story out, they, they ain't ready to change anything. And, uh, and then we ask them also what, what they've been involved in when they, when they were in prison, because we want to know if you're getting out and you ain't, and you ain't worked on anything inside prison, then you're not going to work on anything when you get out, you know, uh, cause <laughs> no. you know, I mean, I don't know how many cellies I had. I was in five different state prisons and I don't know how many cellies I had. I, I would invite to go to church or a, a wreck or a class or whatever. And their excuse was always you know there's too many too much traffic and trading too many bad things going on at, at church and too many uh too many too much gang activity or too much trouble out in the rec yard so i'm, I'm just gonna stay in my cell uh, i'm gonna wait till i get out to go to church i'm gonna wait till i get out to start working out i'm gonna wait till i get out to start writing down plans and and you know i've seen guys that said that in prison and i've caught up with them when they got out and they never, they never did those things. Cause if you don't, yeah, if you don't start it on the inside in the inside, you ain't going to do it on the outside. It, it never, you never, I never seen, I'm gonna be honest. I've never seen one person that successfully on the, I met on the inside that said, I'm going to do it when I get out. That was successful when they got out and did it when they got out. I, I haven't met one. Um, that's another importance of my, my program because we write, we write this down. I always stress write down, write down. Build, right. We build vision boards in the class as well. And so, yeah, I want you to wake up every morning and see this, you know, write down the steps, the smart goals of how to accomplish this. And it gives them, a, it gives them like a, um, because of what I do, I'm not a, uh, you know, a, like a volunteer program inside the prison. So they can't not interact with me outside of prison because of what I do. They're able to email me, interact with me outside of prison. So like I get emails throughout the day. And, you know, it's just always painting that vision and, and, and hearing every time they accomplish something on that vision board or working towards what that ultimate goal is of preparing themselves. They send me an email out like, man, I, I set this goal and, 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 and I achieved it. And they and it's so much a confidence booster yes. to know that oh, I can actually set goals and, and achieve it. And, you know, it, it, man, it makes me smile every time because yeah. I know the. I witnessed. I know some of the work that they, these guys are doing, and I and I watched where they come from from when they first came into my class, and then they graduate the class, and then we still stay in contact and to see where they're going. Like man, it's like yeah, so good. And you know, some of that stuff is so needed because uh, reentry is not taught by the state or the federal government. Uh, it's going to be taught by volunteers coming in and offering our time like that. And so we we saw that in Texas when COVID hit and shut all the volunteers down from going in. There wasn't anything, any re, any rehabilitative uh, rehabilitative element to prison at all. And uh, in fact, fights went up, depression went up, suicides went up, everything went up. Uh, and so we know we we know that it's important for people like you and me and other people that volunteer their time to go in uh, and and share with these guys. I mean, we at our transitional house. We, we have guys at the beginning of each year when we, we teach them how to write the smart goals out and do all that. Some mm -hmm. of these guys have never written goals down in their lives. They don't even know. I'm glad you're doing <laughs> the vision board because the, you know, the vision board, you know, would, would probably just scare most guys because they, they have no idea. They're like, what, what, you know, put pictures up and, and all this stuff, you know? And, and so when you start, 
preparing guys like that to get on the outside. You're just setting them up. You're setting them up for success where I think our system, federal and state, sometimes by default unintentionally sets them up for failure. And uh, it sets them up for a return trip. And, and, yeah. and what, what we're doing is trying to set them up for uh, for success and to get out and stay out. So, uh, all right. Well, that, it ain't always been this good for you. You know, no, uh, no, no, it ain't always been no, as good for you. So let's go back and, and, uh, man, let's talk about, let's go back as far as, as far as we need to in your background, Cardell, you know, what, what was family like growing up? Uh, what was your, what was your childhood like? You know, uh, was your parents, uh, divorced, blended family? Uh, you know, what, what was your childhood like in high school and just kind of carry us into carry us into some of the, the background of your life. Oh. So yeah, um, family life growing up. I grew up. I grew up in Anthony Buckner uh, apartment project. Anthony Buckner projects. And where's um, that? What state? It's in, in Missouri. It's in Missouri. Okay. Anthony Buckner projects in, in Sedalia, Missouri, um, in the early '80s. So this is when crack is starting to become a part of the environment. Um, you still got some of the. Uh, pimps and stuff, you know, before crack, it was more pimps and things like that. And then we grew up in Anthony Buckner pro projects with my grandmother, um, me, my sister, uh, my auntie's uh, children, uh, my uncle lived in there, aunties, everybody lived there except for um, one of my grandmother's son. Okay. And um, the environment was just what it was. It was the projects, you know, um, I could recall at a young age, peeking out the window, because you know, before you, it's different in the day, like the day society, people hear something going on and they run to it with their cameras and everything. But when we was growing up, if something was going on, you was peeking out the window before you went outside to see the police lights, like uh, as a kid, you're like, what's, what's going on out there? And then, yeah. you know, your mama or somebody might open the door and you were able to look out and, and all that. But so, you know, you see violence, ambulance, Police all the time. People got stabbed. Uh, shooters. You know, the, the actual court I grew up in was named after the uh, uh, projects. So I grew up in Buckner Court, but the nickname of the court was called Killer Court. So mm. that just kind of tells you tells you exactly uh, what, what yeah. yeah what's going yeah what's going on. So uh, I remember by by the time I was in the third grade, we moved out of uh, Buckner Court. So where I'm from in Sedalia, about in the time in the uh, in the eighties late 80s 90s all the way from to probably like 1997 it was second it was segregated so on one side of the tracks all the black people live it was on the north side um on the other side of the tracks the white people live that um and this is everywhere so we out this out the city at the time probably about 30 or 40,000 out this county let's say this county of 40,000 um just one section of the whole thing was just where the blacks was at. Yeah. So, so uh, growing up, I, 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 we always ran into racial fights and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. To go to go, go to the grocery store, you had to go across the tracks. We didn't have um, we didn't have it wasn't a lot of black ownership businesses or nothing like that. Uh, we didn't have grocery stores, so you had to go across the tracks. Uh, we did have one grocery store. They they was it was white owned, but they was more friendly with our environment. They would deliver. They was they was ahead of the game. Like you see all the grocery stores and delivery now. Oh, uh, they was delivering back then. They had a station oh, wow. wagon, throw the groceries in the back of the station wagon, and they'd come on the north side and they deliver groceries. Uh, it was like a little small bodega, and they um 
but they delivered. They played a pivotal point in our community. And um, and so by the time we moved out the projects, we moved in town. So you have, even in this se- section of the Blacks, you have kind of a segregation. You got the projects, then you got the in-town. These are where the houses and everything we call yeah. in-town. So the in-town kind of looked down on the projects. But we would have little community events like in-town versus the projects, football games, basketball games, flipping contests, you know, and everything else. Um, but And so uh, by the time I was a teenager, fourth, fifth grade, started being involved in games, still hanging out in the projects, even though we moved in town, the, the hangout spot was Buckner Court. That's where everybody hung out at. And so by the time I was a teenager, involved in games, Buckner Court, but I love to play basketball. That's one thing we picked up with sports, you know, playing them games. And so I love to play basketball. Um, when I was 15 years old, um, during this time, I came into my teenage year, my, my mother was on crack. My father wasn't nowhere around. Um, he was in and out the picture. He, like, he'd come visit me once every four or five years, maybe. Wow. Um, pick me up. I'd go to Oklahoma, stay with him for a little bit, um, and then come back. Before the summer, i come back. And then it might be another three, three or four years before I see him again. He'd come pick me up, you know, and things like that. So that went on throughout my whole uh, life. About what, kind of, what, what kind of impact did that have on you as a, as a, as a kid uh-huh. and a teenager? Uh, it, it, it affected me one way because I want, I didn't have older brothers. Okay. Um, from my mother, but I had two older brothers with my father. And so when I would go to Oklahoma, I would get to spend that lot of the time I would spend with them. Okay. Um, and so they didn't live with my father. He just had some children elsewhere. So he kind of just, when I get there, he'd take me over there and I'd just be over there with them. And I and then I had that bond to have an older brother. And then when I come back home, I was like, hey, I don't know when I'm seeing my brothers again. So I kind of I missed out on that having them bigger brothers. Yeah. Um uh and it really wasn't even about my father. It was kind of more of wanting to be with my bigger brothers because the yeah. fun I had with them every time I went to Oklahoma. Gotcha. And then it, it was crazy because as we got older, even though we were separated. They was transitioning in, in, in the street life at the, at the same time I was transitioning in the street life. So um, I had one older brother. He was four years older than me, and the other one was six years older than me. And so when I'm 14, the one that's 18, the middle older brother, he gets killed in, in the streets. And involved in the streets, he gets killed. Mm-hmm. I'm in the Iowa basketball camp. Okay. Um, this is probably a year or so after I, you know, really started really hanging out with the gangs and stuff like that. Uh, so I'm in the Iowa basketball camp. My uncle, he was a, a big, he passed away, but he was a big figure at Iowa basketball. Um, he wrote a book about sports psychology. Uh, they loved him at the University of Iowa. So he got me to go to their basketball camps. And I was oh, wow. 14 at the, I was the 14 at the time. I'm going into my freshman year, but I would always have to play with the 18 year olds. Like I, I could play basketball. And then um, while at the basketball camp, I had to get a phone call and got on the phone call with my mother. And she told me that my brother got killed. Mm. You know, so like that relationship with my father really wasn't about the relationship with my father. It was more about the relationship that I wanted with my brothers. Because um, mm. every time he would come get me, one of my brothers would be with him. And then, you know, I just had a bond with my brothers. And so I kind of missed out on that. And, and in a sense, 
seek that as well. And so, uh, like I said, 14, I got a next door neighbor. He was four or five years older than me. He was involved in the streets and everything. So he kind of took me under his wing and he became like my bigger brother, my idol in a sense. Yeah. And, yeah. So, uh, so when yeah. was the first time you had your, your first brush with the law? Uh, I had my first, my, I had my, let's say my real first brush with the law, real serious brush with the law. I had little incidents where uh, we might do some vandalism, something like that. And police come call your parents to come and get you. But my actual right. real brush with the law, um, serious when I was 15 years old. Um, reason why I was talking about that racial divide earlier, because this is what led up to what happened when I was 15. So gotcha. we host the Missouri, we host the Missouri state fair. And when you go out to the Missouri state fair, especially during these times, it's automatic racial division There's nothing in there's geared towards black people. They don't know black festivals, nothing like that. Um, alcohol gets involved, racial tension jumps off and then she knows fights. It's always been like that. So when I was 15 and just one of the fights happened to break out. And we was leaving out the fairground and it broke out in the parking lot. And the fight, they, the one of the dudes had, uh, he was beating one of my friends with this chain that had a lock on it. Boom, boom. We coming out like, man, what's going on? So me and my other friend, he popped his trunk. He, one grabbed a, a crowbar. He grabbed a crowbar. I grabbed a two by four. Uh, we ran over there. We chased the dude down and we almost, basically almost killed him, um, beating Beating him, really almost killed him. We kind of got lucky in a sense. Beat him into a coma, uh, 15 years old. So they arrest us the next day. At this time, like I said, my mother was on crack. So for the past few years, I've really been taking care of myself. Um, the basketball coaches, the AAU basketball coaches, they all know my story. Uh, one in particular, two in particular, always looked over me. And so while I was in juvenile detention facing these charges and going to court, they came to court talk to the judges because where I'm from people are tied let's say you know it's ties to it yeah um so they kind of tied in with each other so he talked to the judges explain my living situation with my mother instead of me um getting the juvenile uh, sentence and gone off to juvenile detention further on uh, sent me down to the boot hill what we call the boot hill Missouri um they put uh put me in a foster home and on juvenile probation with stipulation that I had to graduate if I didn't graduate then I was gonna go do the time wow that was the stipulation and so i i got put in one foster home and it didn't work out it just wasn't going it put me right back in the same neighborhood like the foster home was in the neighborhood that two it was two <laughs> houses down from it was two houses down from where i lived at you know wow. like it's not that's not gonna work all my friends is coming over there and we, i'm sneaking out I'm smoking weed we drinking we partying they're like no so the coach is like this ain't gonna work so the coach takes me out of there because my my uh, aunt, my parents now come down there. My mama and my family trying to come down there and fight the foster parent. It was crazy. Um, and uh, he was like, no, this is not going to work. So one of my AAU coaches that I've been knowing all my life, I used, uh, he had sons my age. I used to go down to their house. Like, they lived pretty good. He, he was a male man. Um, but he grew up in the projects. And then he moved to the north side. And they had a nice life. Uh, building a nice family, I mean, future for their family. Like, I used to go down there and play with them. Like, that was my escape from the life that I was actually living. So I would go down to their house. They had the basketball goal, the Nintendo. They had all the games. You know, they had everything. So as a kid, I would go down there and stay with them, and I built a relationship. So when everything was going haywire, 
the same guy he stepped up to the plate because he was my AAU coach. He got me into track, basketball, uh, football. So, yeah, that's playing everything. Anything sports, like, get in it. And as I'm older now and I look back and think about it, he, he was trying to get a lot of us out of trouble. Like, he put yeah. a lot of us. I know at least 40 to 50 kids in our neighborhood, um, at least 20 or 30 in the area in the area that I grew up in that he had us all in sports. And majority of some point went to college and played sports. And so he took me in. He said, yeah, you can stay with us. Um, went and got a bigger house. And he, he kind of taught me structure. Before then, I didn't have structure. So my junior, senior year, I was getting structure. He made me get a job. Um, prior to this, I really wasn't doing no work except for with him. Like, he would have us work uh, little lemonade stands on the fairgrounds, stuff like that. And then I got a job at Wendy's. And then I played basketball and played football. And once I graduated, I went back home. I, I could have stayed there, but I went back home. And I was going to start my freshman year in college, which was at a junior college at home. So when I went, soon, I'm talking about like the next day after I graduated, I moved right back home, right back to the same neighborhood, same block, took on the same, I mean, the same mindset. And I just was right in the streets while playing college basketball. Um, is that, I mean, is that what you wanted to do or did you feel like you had to do that? Or did you have another choice? Um, no, it was, it was what I wanted to do. Like okay. I, the whole time I was doing this, like I was like, I can't wait till I graduate. Um, Cause I used to get times to go see my mother um, while I was at foster home, and, right. I, and like I said, my, it's still the same time my mom was going through her crack phase, and um, so when I go there, it ain't like I'm going there and spending time with her. Like as soon as I go over there, I'm back in the neighborhood. So it was kind of like, but um, my foster dad Joe, he cut that off at one point. Like nah, I see what's going on. He cut it off. So now it was like I just can't wait till I graduate. I'm gonna I'm gonna play it and I'm gonna graduate and then I'm gonna go back home. Um, and that's what I did, but yeah. right back home. And it was, so as I think about it now, it probably was the craziest decision I ever made in my life. Um, here I had the structured suburban, um, environment, yeah. uh, nice neighborhood, didn't want, didn't need for anything. As long as I was doing right, they would take care of me. Um, and I just let all that go to get back to the hood. It was just something about me that I always felt like I had to be in the hood. It was just, I don't know what that was. And so yeah. I carried that same mentality all the way up to even in college. Like in college, I'll play basketball, but I would be in the hood. And I didn't, my mom and them didn't have no money. I didn't have no money. Um, and then I had a brush in, like I was a ward of the state. And so I was, I used to get like a $300 check every month while in college. Uh, because I was awarded of the state until I was 21 because of the juvenile incident. So they, uh, I got in trouble. I, I got in, I caught, I got in a fight and got an assault case. So as soon as I got that case, they cut the check off. So now mm. I don't have no money in college coming in. Mom on crack. I ain't got no money. I ain't got the check no more. Uh, and then, and they, it ain't like how basketball stuff set up now. You're not getting these thousands off the right. uh, Name, NIL. Like this, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not getting the thousands off the NIL. So we used to get um, $25 a week. You get 15 on Monday, to, and then you get 10 on Friday. So you take the 15 to go get your groceries and stuff. Yeah, so I just started – I just jumped right back in the game. And uh, I signed the letter of intent to go play with uh, UNLV. But I had gotten some trouble, some the same trouble that I got into, that where I lost my check, I got in that trouble, and they 
they said no so i ended up going to west georgia flew went down to georgia's using the excuse i'm gonna get far away from home as possible so soon yeah. i got down there i just went down the same environment that i came from so i was down there doing the same you, thing and you know just, that that's elevated. important that's important for people to understand too because a lot of times i hear people and people inmates in prison write and say i just need i don't want to go back to my home area i need to come to a transitional area far away from home so i could just change my environment and so my question to them is always uh have you changed because if you haven't changed then no no matter what environment you go to there you are you're going to you're going to keep doing the same thing and so until i mean changing your environment is great as long as you've changed on the inside and uh and are not going to you know seek out that same environment in your new place so yeah most definitely like that's what like i thought that's what i was telling myself like i go here and it's gonna change when i got there i went right into find the same i found the dope dealers the game banger i was dressing on campus like a game banger like you wouldn't even thought i was a student i was involved in so much stuff but i was a prime athlete so i would be in the streets doing stuff and i would tell people to come to the game and they didn't believe that i actually played basketball <laughs> for the college like, cause I was, yeah, they was like, what's not that? You just sold me this drugs and you got a gun and you don't play on the basketball team at the college. I'm like, yeah, come on out to the game. You know, and I, and I, I come on I out. I can shoot you and shoot a three. <laughs> yeah. They was like, they literally didn't believe me. And so they come to the game. Then I put up 20, 25 points and they were like, man, what, you know, and they was like, man, what are you doing? I'm like, man, this is me. I used to be like, this is me. You know, I, I, uh, I, the coaches used to be mad because, I, this is my mentality. This is the mindset so important. My mentality at the time, well, I had a chain. You know, most athletes wearing basketball chains with the basketball. My chain said thug life. Wow. As a basketball player in college, like, like that's what my chain said. And they, my coach was like, what, what are you doing? And I didn't, I wasn't understanding. My mindset wouldn't allow me to understand how I was a representation of the school. Right. I felt like I was a representation of myself in the blood gang. That was the gang I was in, like, you know, and so thug life was just matching me. And so after my senior year, uh, my last basketball game, my senior year, I just dropped out of school. I was full fledged in the streets. Um, within a year after that, I found myself catching my first dope case. I was traveling back and forth from Georgia to Missouri. So I come back to Missouri, come back home. I catch my first drug case. I sit in the county um, for six months. I get probation. As soon as I get out, I go right back to doing the same thing within probably seven months of that i catch another drug case and gun case i go to trial cocky arrogant i'm going to beat it go to trial and i lost <laughs> i got sentenced to 19 years in the missouri department of corrections Ooh. i go in a, i go in there now that's after, state that's state prison right there yeah, right that's state okay. prison yeah that's state prison so you go when you back then this day they didn't we didn't have the three different um like different uh diagnostic centers that missouri has now it was just one main one in fulton so everybody on tuesdays and thursday came through from all over missouri so you i go in there we go to i was like oh man we go in there it was just crazy but then after going to fulton and then it, you get designated um i got designated and i went the first stop i went to was the walls so i go in there and for those who know this is the historical prison and it's crazy. I, I'm lucky I kind of got there when it was on the verge of setting down, so I didn't get to stay there that long. But when you, you when you go in there, it, on the wall, while they're taking you in, on the wall there's a sign and written in red letters. It says, leave all your dreams and hopes behind. Wow. 
And so at 23 years old with a 19 year sitting, seeing that and then knowing that understanding the reputation of the prisoner that I'm going into, that's what I had to do. Hmm. Uh, I wasn't there, I really wasn't there that long because like I said, they were shutting down. So they shipped me to, to Mobley. So when I get to Mobley, it's, 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 it's not as big, nowhere near the size compound um, that the wall is, but it's an old prison. You, we all know what I mean by old prison. It's yeah. not, it's one of them old prisons. So you, it's, it's duck off spots and stuff like that. Like, so you, you gotta be there. But the crazy thing is they was transitioning from a max and uh, max yard to a lower. So they was opening up the newer prisons now in Missouri. So they was opening up this one called Licking where they was housing lowers, but they was opening it up for a max. And so they kind of made a shift. They was taking all the, the, the high levels in Mobley, sending them to Licking, but to fill up the whole compound, they was taking people out the holes and like in the um the walls and, and out there, they were just putting people in. But they wasn't worried about security because right. now you had people that was coming out the holes that had issues with each other going on the yard. When they let us in, they let us in on the yard yeah. free. Like it was just, whoa. <laughs> I bet that was <laughs> they, crazy. Man, because they was running it like a two and three prison. So a two or three prison yards open and everything. Yeah. So they was, they didn't think about changing that model as they was bringing everybody in. So as they brought everybody in, yard was open. People was going to each other yard, stabbings. It was it was crazy, and um, the, like the first year they opened, we was there. We probably was locked down. Uh, out of a year, we probably was locked down ten months. Out of a year, uh, wow. it, it was crazy. I mean, it took them two years to get that under control. Uh, we it was just crazy, and um, I was sitting there, and then this is gonna happen. I'm, I'm probably like four years in, a Senate bill passes. That cuts my mandatory time on one of the drug cases I have in half, so I'm up for immediate parole. Wow! I go to I go to the parole here. Uh, it's the fastest parole here in history. I always say this. I walked in there. The guard, me and the guard walked in there. He dropped me off. He told me to go in. I went in. He went this way. I went in. I sat down. They said, "Mr. Sims, you are part of the problem." You got a few more years with this. What do you think about institutional behavior and drug treatment? I told him, yeah, I'll take the treatment because my criminal mindset knew that if I get to the treatment early, I get out early. They just told me I got a few more years. So I said, yeah, I'll take the treatment. And they said, okay, that was my whole parole hearing. I had the little papers, my presentation. They didn't want to hear none of that. <laughs> that was it. They, they was like, all right. And I was out. So I came out. And I'm still standing there waiting for the guard. He come back around. He said, yeah, go on in there. You can go in. I said, man, I already been in. He was like, man, that, that, that's the fastest parole hearing I have. You, I went to the bathroom and came back, and you was done. I said, yeah. I told him what they said. I, I got a few more years with them, so I went back to the room, and then you know that's when they slide you, yeah, your uh, release date under the door. So probably like two weeks later, I got the release date, in, and it was a few years away. But it, what it did, it dropped my my custody level. So my custody level dropped because now I'm within three years of my out date. So now I get to go to a level one, level two camp and they sent me to Al Gore. And it was like going from, um, I, I, I say it all the time. It was like going from heaven. It was like going from hell to heaven. I get to Al Gore. They got the work release. They got pool tables. They got boxing. Uh, wow. They got a, a nice gym. They got a big old yard. Big. I was, that's what I was like. I'm like, what? Then they got this big old circle complex that you can walk around that's in between the houses. I was like, oh man, this, freedom this to is move. This is yeah, state this prison. Is state. Wow. Yeah, this is state. 
So you're like freedom to move when you want to. Like um, you ain't no control movement. It's like boom, when you get up in the morning, yards open, you go out and you can go. Uh, they had uh, video games in the one room. I'm like, oh man, like I said, it was like from hell to heaven. So I get there and uh, I hear about they got the work release program. I got a few more years. Um, I get off the bus, people are waiting on me. By this time, um, people know me for basketball and was in the prison. So they're like, oh man, put your stuff up, come up to the gym. So I get back in that environment and I get a job working at the governor's mansion. Uh, wow. I got a job working at the governor's mansion for work release. Best, it was one of the top jobs in the prison. You made $9 a day. Uh, $9 a day. But what I liked about it was we wasn't in the prison. That's the only reason why I wanted a job was I wanted to get out of prison. I didn't want to sit in the prison. So I went, I got that job. And then I ended up going to a treatment. We sat in tight house and treatment. I go for, to tight house. And um, they called me for treatment for uh, uh, like a year early. I go to treatment. I get out and I go right back to the same neighborhood. Same environment, same block, same game, and I'm right back into this into the mix. Uh, within two years, I had caught another drug case. Uh, set in the county, my cousin set me up. I sat in the county. They mm. violated my parole. I get sent back, and while fighting a drug case, I beat that case on the technicality. I get released. I go get out right back to the same thing. Neighborhood yeah. mindset, block, gang, selling the same drug. Uh, within the, within a year of that, caught another drug case. I beat that drug case, but at the time we was going through some gang wars, and so this is when like Facebook first really came out, and so we was putting pictures hanging out with each other because everybody I was associated with was convicted felons. Like we always running in and out of prison, yeah. and so they took the pictures, violated us for association, sent us back to prison. Uh, went back to prison for a year and a half, got out. Same thing, same block, same. It's crazy, same wow. neighborhood mindset. Everything. And then within two years, federal government came and picked us all up. 31 of us, um, conspiracy charges with gang activity. Uh, but then you had, under that, you had each additional charges like aiding and embedding, distribution. And I was standing in the federal courtroom and they handed me this piece of paper and it had all my charges on there and it had 10 to life, 5 to 40, 0 to 20. And I really wasn't worried about the time because I've seen these type of numbers before. Like almost every case I was caught was 10, 15 of life. But I'm not understanding this the federal government, not the state. Right. You know, and um, but it was just something at the top of the paper that made me ask myself, why do I keep finding myself in these situations? And that what the top paper was Cardell Sims versus the United States of America. Wow. And at this time. I'm 34 years old and I just spent my 20s in prison, beginning of my 30s, ending out of prison. Uh, and I'm like, man, why do you keep finding yourself in situations? The only answer I came up with was me. Yeah. Just I was like, you keep putting yourself in that situation. And so from that point on, I it was like I made an oath to myself, like, no matter, I didn't know when I was getting out. This is the first court case I ever had in federal. This is the first time I've been here and had me indictment. I just said that as soon as I get out. I'm going to be better off than I was from standing at this very moment. I'm going to build my life or what I want it to be whenever I get out. And so from that point on, I just started reading different books. I, it wasn't no hood novels. It was Knowledge Yourself, Science Yourself, Goal Setting by Brian Tracy, uh, Contagious, uh, The City of the Soul by Gary Zukav, Super Rich. Uh, I can go on and on. The Alchemy, 
I, I can go on and on. I read so many books. And as I'm reading books, because I couldn't leave this facility with the books, I would take notes. Because one thing they're going to let you take is your paperwork. Right. Um, so I, I would take notes and I would take notes. And um, when I went from the federal holdover, because in the feds, like, it's not like it was different in the state. In the state, and you can wrap up a case in four to six months. In the feds, especially on the indictment, you might not wrap up the case for five, ten years. Yep. Yeah. And so I so I said in the uh, federal holdover for three years just Ooh, to get man. sentenced. And, um, you know, and them, it wasn't no outside or none of that. It was you were stuck in the dorm. They had a little uh, in dorm gym where the little uh, they had like a little roof visor and slide back so you can get a little sun in. That's all you had. And so when I got the Leavenworth USP, I just kept on the same mindset, you know, and it's kind of hard when you're stuck in cars, though. Right. You, oh, oh, man, the car guy, we was having so many meetings, it was getting ridiculous. The car got a meeting. You know, like, man, how many meetings do we do a week? You know, but it, at the same time, I'm in Leavenworth USP, and it's a lot of stuff going on, so you have to be alert, you know, and everything else. And and so I just took on the same thing, um, educate myself, reading books. Every, in every prison, you got a book. It's several bookmans. You know who to go get the knowledge books from. You know who go get the the, the 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 Playboy books from or whatever. You know where to go get the hood novels from. Like it's a book person for everything. Yep. And so sure. I I was going to go find the people, the bookman that had the knowledge. And so I would just um study and study and and and, and read and read. And then they had to, and I would take classes. I took serve safe. I, even though I didn't plan on coming out cooking, nothing, I wanted to the skills just in case. Then I took this hotel and lodging class where I learned about how hotels run and I ended up getting an American Lodging Institute some pen and certificate to make me certified. And uh, I took janitorial. Then I just took other little classes that they had, um, adult continuing ACE classes. I took a lot of them, business, entrepreneurship. And then I took this one class called Constance and Success and it was about um, tapping into your individual human performance and potential. And it gave us okay. a formula, your IA plus your AA times your A equals your IHP. And what it stood for was your inborn or inherited attributes plus your acquired attributes times your attitude would determine how you will perform as a human. And so under that, it, it taught us how tapping into our untapped potential and that likeness that God gave us. Uh, we always talk about made in the image and a likeness. So sometimes we forget about the likeness and some of them likenesses was our ability to reason, the will that he gave us, our ability to create and think like we get these wow, died. And so, so when I started, when I started tapping into that and then we got to talking about vision board. So and then, then, then it was like, OK, now I get it. And so from that point on, I just started tapping into myself using these God given attributes, that likeness that I got at, that I got from him. And so through all the reading that I do, whether it's religious, whatever, especially in the religious context, and now I'm I'm, hearing, I'm, I'm seeing these stories and I'm, uh, with Jesus and I'm starting to be able to correlate my life with him now instead of just kind of being like, man, whatever. Right? But, you know, I'm kind of be able to relate my life to him as like, OK, you're going to face some things when you get out that you faced over your biggest. I knew my big obstacle was going back to the block. So as I'm building my vision board, I, I'm keeping in mind that I'm, I'm, I'm studying my old life in a sense. OK, right. when you got out this last time, you you every time you got out, you went to the block. You, you, 
every time you say you weren't going to sell drugs, you end up selling drugs because once you ain't on the block for about a week or two, you're going to be involved. You're involved in the same game. You got the same people surrounding you. Everything you get out of this is what you're sitting in now. So I had to start identifying everything, identifying my beliefs, started challenging certain beliefs, started prioritizing what I value. Because prior to this, all I value was the street. So everything and how I move was the street. I didn't value my life. I didn't value my children, my family, because if I did, I wouldn't be in the situation that I'm in. So right. I learned how to start valuing myself. So every morning I would wake up, look at the vision board. I would say thank you. And before my, heat, my feet hit the ground, I would say an affirmation. I'm greater than the situation that I'm in tap into my greatness and that greatness was that likeness that i got from god and so i know if i'm able to tap into that and build this and stick to this it's going to be great and so that's what i did and then when i was released i saw i had i had that vision board i had everything that i've been writing down all the notes all the goals all the plans five a uh, three-year plan a five-year plan a six-month plan 30-day plan i walked out of there and went to the halfway house and when i went to the halfway house that's where everything that I was working on and put together in my preparation, I had to start using. And I, I just had a blueprint of what I wanted my life to be like. When I went to the halfway house, I just uh, stuck to the blueprint. Yeah. Uh, worked, I drove the bus, rode the bus. You know, people always talk about, I ain't going to ride the bus. And I, I rode the bus to work every day. As soon as I came back, rode two in there. As soon as I came back, I got online and rode in online coaching courses. And um, then worked out. That was my everyday routine. Everyday routine. When I got how, the halfway how house. How long? How long were you at the halfway house? I was at the halfway house for four months. I was at halfway house four months, and then once I left out of there, I went right back to the same city, but it was far away from the block. But I was only there for a split second, so okay. I was there for a few months, and then I moved to a, a, a bigger city, and um, just started working and started and just stayed sticking to the blueprint yeah uh, with, with, so you, with what year was that what year was that you got so out? that was it i got out in 2017 i got out right. august 2017 um january 2018 is when my public law started for federal government i wasn't property of fbop and so from january to 18 i had by the time i want to be off uh parole i want to um have my start my own business start my own nonprofit organization uh, get my uh, coaching, uh, my online coaching diploma, get my coaching diploma and become a coach. And within that three years, I did that. I met to where I'm at today. By the time January, the three years was over with, I um, had on the inside reentry academy, ready to go in motion. All they was doing is waiting for me to get off federal probation. So I had that ready to go in motion. I went on a federal speaking tour right after that. And then I just came up with the idea of doing the 100 institutional tour. And all of that falls in line with the blueprint of my five years of, of once I'm out. Um, and it's just what I mean to me, like I always tell people, the, the success to me wasn't walking down my probation and parole. Right. Uh, success is, me is uh, building a mindset and a life that I have to never worry about to returning to prison again. That's so good. That's so good. Now tell us about your book. What, what, why did you write the book? What's the book about? And what, what is, uh, what do you want the reader to walk away from, uh, walk away with when they put your book down? Right. So, um, I'm an author of, of those, I'll tell you, I'm an author of seven books. Um, three books were novels. Three books are geared towards those in, uh, reentry. Um, the, my main book is inmate to inspiration. 
It shares my story, but it just don't get you just don't get my story inside the book. You get these keys to success, um, attitude, vision, education, hustle. And then you also get so the books is based on three sections, my story, the keys to success and then some reentry tips. And there's a letter in there as well that I wrote to everyone incarcerated to read. Um, and then you take that. That's the greatest book to me to have because uh, you're getting the stories, you're getting the information and you get some reentry tips. Then I also have hustle, attitude, vision, education, which is a section of the book. But now we go deeper into that. And it's all about tapping into your, your, your human potential, uh, your human performance, tapping into those uh, things that I was talking about earlier, that likeness, tapping into those things and putting it all together and having the right attitude educating yourself, building a vision for yourself, and then working hard. A lot of people think hustle, you know, where we come from is, is a bad term, but it actually is just working hard and outworking yeah. everyone and being Absolutely. consistent with it. And, you know, and so I, I have that as well. And then affirmation. I have an affirmation book called I Can, I Will, I Do, I Am. These are affirmations that I use while I was incarcerated. So you get the affirmation in the book, you get the uh, breakdown of the affirmations and stories behind the affirmations when I was using this while incarcerated. So, yeah, man, I just love doing what I'm doing. <laughs> it, well, it shows too, man. You can tell when there's people that are doing it because it's their passion. Uh, it's, it's what they want to do in their heart. It's what they plan to do before they even got out. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard for people like us to burn out. We see people burn out all the time doing stuff like this because it wasn't their passion. It wasn't their calling. Maybe they didn't go down our route, but they just wanted to try to see, see what help and reentry was like, but then they, they see how hard it is and they get burnt out and they quit. Um, you know, I see that all the time, man, but, uh, but I can tell you have the passion for it, the heart for it and, uh, to see others. And, and I love it when people like us come out of prison and, uh, and, and do what we're, what we were planning on doing on the inside. Uh, inside we've had a, inside. we have a, uh, there's a guest on our show. He's been on a couple of times. His name's Herb. We were actually locked up together and, mm. and he, he mentioned when we first, I first went down to Houston to do his interview the first round. Uh, he said, he said, Jay, before we start, I just want to let you know, and everybody else know, he said, he said, I looked up to you and your, your vision of forgiving felons back when we were locked up in, in Oh five and Oh six. He mm. said, he said, you're doing everything you said you wanted to do back then. And he said, there's not too many guys that get out and do that. And he said, I just want to tell you, I appreciate that. And he's been on a couple of times and he's just an amazing guy. He's actually a, he's actually how a does that make you. How does that make it. you feel when you hear that? When someone says you're doing, uh, cause I got a guy, uh, no lie. I don't really know exactly what he's out here doing, but uh, we don't, we don't really keep in contact like that, but he was, in the federal holdover with me, we went to the same Leavenworth and he got out before me Then when I got out and I actually moved to the city where he's from. Uh, we connected one time. I gave him my number and he calls me like every six or seven months. He says, Cardell, I'll be watching you on Facebook and stuff. I just want to let you know you are the only person I ever met that said they're going to do what they said they were going to do when they got out of prison. I actually sit and listen to talk with you. We had many conversations and you actually, and he says, I just want to let you know, I I, I, I want to say thank you because you're the only person I'm proud of you. That's so good, man. That's so good. You know, I tell people I wouldn't, if, if, if we weren't doing this, if we weren't giving back, we'd be going back, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah. and like you said, uh, like you said on, on your show, you know, it's all about serving. 
You know, what, uh, what I try to tell guys is if you, whether you're already, whether you're still in prison, you could start this today, whether you're out here, what, no matter where you are, you're one decision away from, from going forward or, or one decision away from going backwards. But if you make this decision right here, these two decisions, number one is to find a mentor. Now a mentor is somebody who knows more than you is further down the road is, is where you want to be. It's not somebody that that's lateral that knows only what you know, because you're they you can't use them to get ahead. They can't give you any more information than you already know. So a mentor, when you're choosing a mentor, make sure you choose somebody who's where you want to be down the road. Maybe somebody who's kind of been down that same road you have and, and, and grab their hand, you know, and don't let go. Now the face may change over the years. It, it may be a different name. It may be somebody else, but it's always somebody that you're reaching out to, to say, can you help me grow? You know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then, and then as, as, as you're being led by them to grow, then you look back and you see, you see rock bottom where you used to be. And you see somebody there sitting right where you used to sit. Then you reach your other hand out and you say, Hey, come on, come on. Now you're the mentor. Now you're the mentor to them. And as long as you go through life with both hands, one in front of you, letting somebody that's, that's a, that's higher. Now you may pass some of your mentors and that's normal, but as soon as you pass a mentor, then find another mentor that's still ahead of you. Always grab somebody that's ahead of you because they're going to lead. They're going to keep leading you forward, but always look behind and and, and reach your hand. And, and that face may change too because somebody may get tired wow. of your help. You may they may get tired of your help, and you got to help somebody else. But that but that hand, these two hands, one forward and one backwards. As long as you hold on to have a tight grip on those, man, you're gonna you're gonna be really good because as soon as you let go of the mentor hand and say, "Oh, I'm good." I mean, us guys, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. You sure? You, you yeah. struggling? No, no, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm all right. But as soon as we let go of that mentor hand, now we're not growing. We're just, we're, we're, we're going, we're going, we're coasting. As soon as we let go of that, that, that serving hand. Now it's like, now man, either one, what? if we let go of either one, yeah. you're losing, you're losing, you're losing your, your progress. Yeah. So yeah, most definitely. But man, I appreciate what you're doing, man. We're going to, we're going to put links to everything that you're doing, all your social media links, your podcast, you got a great podcast too. Uh, and then, uh, and then, and then we'll put however ways people can buy your books. We'll put on there as well. And, uh, but what else is going on in Cardell Sims life that we need to, that everybody needs to know about, man. I think what I'm doing right now is the 100 correctional institution tour. We call it the on the inside empowerment a workshop, which we're going to 100 institutions across the U U.S. Um, and we're teaming up. We're all right now. We're all um, footing our bills. And we like this is how much we're here to serve. We footing our bills. We're yeah. going in, telling the institutions, open up door and let us bring the inspiration, the hope and the connections. Um, I, I'm always I feel this is my this is my personal belief and feeling that I think it's time to start opening the doors for formerly incarcerated um uh, educators in their program decide institutions yeah, now. I love it. I um, love it. I'm and, and yeah, that's what I, I think that's what the tour offers. Us bringing the inspiration and then also us being able to showcase what we're really right. able to do and, and we in our service. 
and I'm hoping to catch up with you on one of those uh, and maybe one or two of those prisons somewhere. Uh, there is a video uh, on his website that explains that in detail. So make sure you go watch that. Check out his website. Check out all they're doing and uh, follow him on. I know he's on LinkedIn and Instagram. That's where I follow him on. Uh, but it sounds like he may be on Facebook too. So we'll we'll put all the links on the show page. Cardell, this this uh, this podcast goes to uh, inmates all across the nation through the Securus uh, company and uh, jails, prisons. We get we get letters from all across the nation of people that are impacted by some of the guests on our show. Uh, they're also impacted by some of the messages that the guests have for them at the end. And so I always try to end with this, speak to those ones that are behind bars and, uh, and, and tell them what they need to hear to keep their head up, to keep them going and to give them hope. I always say this, I always use this quote, don't let the limitations of your background reduce the height of your potential. Outgrow what you born into challenge your beliefs prioritize what you value and have expectations for yourself. If you wake up every day with a goal, a vision for yourself and expectations, you start to carry yourself different. Once you start to carry yourself different, you start living different. Once you start living different, you won't have to worry about coming back to prison again, but you got to stop letting your background limitate your potential. Don't let the man, like I say, Ooh, that's good, man. Drop the mic on that one. That's good stuff right there. Cardell. I appreciate you, man. Well, we appreciate, appreciate you, you. And, and, uh, and all you do and uh, looking forward to following you uh, a lot more and following your progress through the hundred, the hundred units. Uh, like I said, we're going to forgive them fellas, going to try to catch up with you and, and, uh, and uh, on one or two of them, I don't know where, but, but we'll do it. And, um, and I uh, appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate you. Uh, thanks for having me. Okay. What a great interview. Thank you again, Cardell for your time. Man, he said some, he dropped some bombs on the show, man. And I just appreciate everything uh, that he is. Uh, and again, he started his change on the inside, on the inside of prison, but also on the inside of him. And you know, I don't care where you are in life. I don't care if you're in prison behind bars. I don't care if you're out here in prison of your mind, your heart, your finances, uh, prison uh, to a relationship, prison to an addiction, where, wherever you are, change starts on the inside. And, and you can you can let it start on the inside of your heart and mind and for and for me that is you know uh, I'm, I'm a faith man and so that starts with confessing and repenting and saying you know I'm, I'm a sinner I do some things wrong I need a savior I need Jesus uh, let me repent it means change my mind turn away from the things that I were was doing and and do it differently and, and it all starts on the inside and then when you you get that change on the inside your outside behavior soon should begin to line up with your heart and your mind. And, and that's typically what, what's going to happen is, is your actions are going to line up with what's going on in your mind and your heart. Okay. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. All right. So, but before it gets to your heart, it's got to linger in your head. You've got to think about it and you've got to, um, you know, premeditatedly think about it and plan things and do things and the longer you let something uh, hang out in your head, your mind, it's going to work down to your heart. And I mean, we could talk ourselves into, in our mind, without even saying a word to anybody, in our mind, we could talk ourselves into being angry and staying angry at somebody, at something. Um, you know, there's something in my life right now going on that I'm I'm just angry about a lot. And, uh, and I've got to just make it up, 
my mind that I'm going to be okay with the situation and the circumstances and the results and not let it, not let it get me mad. And I, and I just have to choose that because nothing, nothing the other people are going to do that that's going to make me change that. So I'm going to have to change it myself. So, um, but I love, I love everything Cardell does. Let's pray for Cardell. First of all, I want to say thank you for all who, who uh, prayed for my mom, sent letters in, cards in. Uh, she's feeling a little bit better, but, man, just keep praying it through. You know, that congestive heart failure doesn't really go away. Uh, so, you know, she's still kind of struggling with some things. So keep her, please keep her in your prayers, and I appreciate that. Um, let's pray for Cardell. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for Cardell. I thank you for On the Inside Reentry Academy. I thank you for the 100 prisons that he and Aaron Smith and others, including myself, are going to go to this year. We we ask you to go ahead of us. Go ahead of everyone that's going, Lord. Go ahead of Cardell and Aaron and and pave the way, Holy Spirit. Work, open doors that need to be open and shut doors that need to be shut. And we ask you to prepare the prisons, the staff, the hearts of men and women uh, to hear exactly what on the in, on the inside reentry academy needs to share with them. Lord, we thank you for our own prisons here in Texas. We thank you for the Missouri Department of Corrections, the Idaho Department of Corrections. We thank you for the Kyle unit. We thank you for all these units that from the units that people write in and share with us, Lord. We lift up our uh, Brian Collier and Texas Department of Criminal Justice uh, Justice Executive Director. Lord, we lift up everyone to you. And uh we lift up the Polunsky unit where I'm about to go. Uh, we lift up the Kyle unit where I'm going to be going soon. We we just lift up all these units, all these people. Um, and Lord, everyone out here as well. Lord, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for your healing. We thank you that you have given us free will and the choice to make changes in our life. And we thank you for that. We don't take it for granted, Lord. We thank you for our salvation, but we also thank you for free will. And we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, Jesus. And uh, we just declare that this week is going to be a good week for everybody, a good weekend and a good week, no matter what they're serving in the chow hall. And no matter whether you can pay a bill out here or not pay a bill, God is your provider. He's going to begin thanking him for that. We love you, Lord. We give you praise and glory in Jesus name. Amen. Hey, listen, thank you so much for listening to this episode with Cardell. Next week, we got Tina, Tina Washington, Ty Washington. She's an author, motivational speaker. Uh, so you're not going to want to miss it. Have a great weekend and have a great week. Thank you for uh, listening and tuning in and sharing the word. And listen, we got um, we got our merchandise up for sale. All right, on the website, it's cold. Get you a beanie. Go to the store and uh, merchandise page on forgivenfelons.org and buy you a beanie. Buy you a sweatshirt. We got background check stuff now. Uh, we don't have the background check beanie yet, but we have the background check sweatshirts and t-shirts. So go, go get them. All right. Forgivenfelons.org forward slash shop. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the background check podcast brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with the past realize their future. For more information, please visit forgivenfelons.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, And please don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss the latest episode. I'm J.D. Gum, and this has been Background Check.